Good morning. Olivia left her coat on today to get down here this morning. She had to put her coat on. She got left behind. She didn't like it. She said, they're leaving me. Whatever they was running out at the Vanceburg campus a little bit ago. Uh, welcome back to the Bridge Church. And we are in week three of the Red Letter Challenge and experiencing... Uh, the goodness of God and the grace of God, the mercy of God in our lives through this 40-day uh, challenge. How many felt challenged through this book and through the reading that it's challenging you and the way you live and how you act? Definitely is a challenge. So I think they put those words on it for a reason because they knew that it would challenge people because... Actions always speak louder than words, and we need to be a people of God that has actions that back up what we say we are. And if we claim to be a Christian, we cannot be a Christian and not forgive because Jesus told us to forgive. And this past week, uh, all week through the challenge this past week has been about forgiveness, and that really is a challenge uh, some people can forgive really easy. My Aunt Mary says it's really easy for her that she can just kind of be mad at you and five minutes later she lets it all go and uh, it's just gone. Don't really worry about it. Uh, other people, they can hold a grudge for years, uh, months, days, and even decades and never let it go. And so uh, different things challenge different people in different ways. So for me... Uh, the forgiving part, uh, I've said from early on in this challenge that it's it's one of those things that God is speaking to me and working on me to forgive things like we did in week one about letting it go, that people had broken our church and stole my guitar uh, that I bought, that I paid for with working, and it just didn't seem fair. But uh, forgiving doesn't take fair into account. Forgiving is where you let it go and you... Act like God because he forgave you when he didn't have to. He sent his son to give you forgiveness when he didn't have to. So we need to look at it at, from that perspective that I want to be like him, and if I'm like him, then I'll forgive. And so this whole week, and has anybody messed up on, on the Red Letter Challenge? Uh, the other day I read the wrong day. That's pretty awesome. I'm so smart. I can't even look at what day of the month it is and tell what day to read. I read the wrong day. And I just read through it. And, you know, I was sitting there drinking my coffee, reading through it. And then the next day I looked and I was like, okay, it's day, I think it's day 18. I looked at day 18. I started reading. I was like, I read this yesterday. Is this the same thing? So then I flicked back a page or two. And I was, apparently I skipped day 17. So I had to go back and read uh, day 17 on day 18. I read day 18. Read 18 on 17, so it's kind of mixed them up a little bit, but either way, I uh, got through both of them. Today is the 19th day, so we're almost halfway home uh, in the 40-day challenge. Uh, tomorrow will be that halfway point, and it's going really well. A lot of connection groups are uh, really encouraging that we've we bounced around a little bit less than myself to go to different ones and to hear a different perspective from different people, and it's awesome getting to see uh, the people of our church join together and um, just be in ministry together and talking together and being family as a church. Um, there's five main principles in this that Jesus 
uh, calls and commands us, asked his followers, us as his followers, to put these things in practice. We know that week one was about being, and we spent a week doing that. Uh, this past week, we've been about forgiving and studying how to forgive and the different things about forgiving. Uh, next week, we're traveling into the serving week, and it's going to be a week that teaches us how to serve. And then the next week is giving, and the last week will be about going. So as we're going through this process, it has been about bu building bridges between the two things. So uh, from week one, we took off with being. Then we last week, we talked about being to forgiving and the bridge between the two. And this week, we're going to talk about the bridge bet between forgiving and serving and how that we need to forgive and allow others uh, to get by with doing us wrong even when we don't want to. Even when our will says, I don't want to forgive. But when God's still small voice is speaking to us and saying forgive whether you want to or not, that's where we have to listen to him more than listen to ourselves. So it's about forgiving so we can serve. Because if we serve without forgiving, people know our hearts because the eyes are the windows to the soul. So people can tell by the look on your face right now what kind of day you're having. So look over at your neighbor and smile real big. Turn that frown upside down. And let's have a good day and a good sermon. Life is for enjoying. God didn't create us for heartache. He created us to have pleasure on this earth, to have seasons of joy. And as we go through life, sure, life is going to tackle us. Sure, life is going to cast some weight on our shoulders. And life is going to burden us down. But in the Lord, we have enough to go on and to keep moving on. Um, so in thinking about a sermon to bridge us between the point of forgiving to serving, uh, I wanted to go back to the Old Testament and look at this story about Jacob and Esau. These were twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 33 verse 4 says, And Esau ran to meet him, talking about Jacob, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this challenge that you've placed us as a church on, this red letter challenge. We thank you for the words of your son Jesus that he spoke on this earth. We thank you for the people that pinned them down, that we can have them in our Bibles today to be able to live out what he spoke about 2,000 years ago. God, I pray today that you would just encourage us as a church, as a body, as a group of believers to act like you act. And God, I pray today that you would allow us to cross this bridge from forgiving to serving, that you allow our heart to be prepared, our mind to be receptive of what you're saying to us. And God, we could put into action the things that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. So this Old Testament story, and we can still use Old Testament of our Bible and, and learn principles from it and learn from the stories of it and put it into application 
into what we're living and how we're living even in a New Testament age and dispensation of grace. So this was under the Old Testament and sure there were laws back then, the Levitical laws and all the things that God had set up and the nation of Israel and sometimes we look at it and say, well, I've heard people say this before, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that's true, but it's still the Bible. So we can learn from this and learn principles from this. But uh, this story of Jacob and Esau is one that come to my mind when I thought about forgiving and serving. And this Old Testament story is a story of twin brothers. And if it's what I, the verse I read you was in Genesis 33, verse 4, but uh, you can go back several chapters before that, all the way into the 20s and uh, Genesis chapter 20s. And, and as you read through there and study through there, you're going to see a story of Abraham, uh, the great patriarch of the Bible. And, and the New Testament is filled with stories of Abraham, and they call him Father Abraham. Because he was the father of our nations, of the Christian nations even we have today that we can study and go back and learn from Abraham's life. But Abraham was this man that left his uh, home country and he uh, traveled through and, and God told him to go to this place I'll show you. I'll go to a land that I'll promise you, that I'll give to you and your generations after you. And Abraham obeys God, does what God says, and takes off and leaves his people group, leaves his parents, leaves everybody behind, his family members, his neighbors, and he takes off for this land. And as he gets there, he, he, God's blessing is on him. And he just, uh, Abraham's blessing, and there's all kinds of things in the New Testament talks about Abraham's blessing that can be on us as Christians. And Abraham travels, and as he goes along, he, he's got this blessing of God's blessing on him that allows him to have multiple animals and just everything he touches literally turns to gold. And he, he really has a, a, a profound impact on the region that he goes into, but also he goes down to Egypt, returns back to the nation of Israel. And he really is the, the forefather of this Jewish nation that we know today, the nation of Israel. But Abraham becomes older, and the older he gets, God promises him, gives him visions, and tells him you're going to have kids, and you're going to have so many kids and grandkids that it's going to look like the, the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, and it's going to be a multitude of hosts. There's going to be all kinds of people from your lineage, and Abraham hears these things, but then at the same time he looks around and he says, well, I ain't even got a kid. And parenting is a challenge. That would have been a good place for you parents to say amen. <laughs> Parenting is a challenge. So as I think about that, I, I talked about during the Vanceburg campus this morning, um, Brittany Sylvia, I remember when Ledger, man, was really, really little and, you know, he just born and we done his dedication and all this stuff and, and Ledger got big enough to move around and he's a handful. I mean, Ledger is wide open. He's... He's intense. I mean, he's really, really at it. And I watched Brittany when she would bring him in when he was really little. And, and you know, Ledger's big enough to run around and get around. And she was just so exhausted from keeping him all week and wore down and bedged out. And you could just tell by the look on her face that she was grateful to come to church because she was going to get an hour for somebody else to go down in the basement or out to the clubhouse to watch him, you know. And it was a time of freedom for her and, and uh, to just let that go. And... I can tell you this that, um, well, I want to say this too, that I was listening to a podcast this week and sometimes wonder if I'm talking about uh, per parenting and uh, how parents interact with kids. I feel like I don't have uh, the rights or the abilities to talk about it because I don't have kids myself. 
So I've always felt like that it's, it's hard for me to discuss ideals about telling parents how to parent whenever I'm not a parent myself. And uh, I was listening to this podcast, and the guy said it's Kerry uh, Newhoff, and I think it's Lou Giglio was on there with him, and and Kerry was asking him a question. He was asking him a question about parenting, and, and Lou said that uh, I really don't feel like I've got a right to speak to parenting because of the fact I don't have kids. I'm 61 years old. I don't have kids. Uh, I really don't know that I can give examples or uh, things about parenting. And Kerry Newhoff comes back at him, who's a guy that's probably about my age, and he's going at this 60-year-old, and he tells the 60-year-old, he says, but really I think you have insight into parenting maybe that others don't, or that even I don't myself, because you look at it objectively. He said, you've seen all kinds of parents. If you've been pastoring 30-some years, you've got to witness all different styles of parenting. And you're looking at it from not a biased perspective, but from an open-minded perspective, that you see all this stuff without the burdens of your own condition. So it really opened my eyes, and it's the first time I'd ever heard anybody say that, and it's like, wow, maybe God can show me different groups of parents and he has. I've been around a lot of different styles of parents uh, and pastoring the churches through the past, you know, I, literally I was called to preach in June and I was saved the October before. So that's pretty fast. And my transition from a life of wickedness to a life of standing behind an altar and preaching was a really quick transition. And I've been at this for about 20 years now. In 2000, June of 2000, when I started praying or preaching, so now here I am, 2020, it's coming upon 20 years that I've been delivering messages to people. And I've saw all different kinds of parents. I've seen the elite rich, and I've seen the super poor, and I've seen families with one kid, and I've seen families with nine kids come to our church one time. And I, there's a lot of dynamics. I've seen a lot of different things. I've seen uh, all ethnic groups. Every I've seen a little bit of all of it. And I can tell you this, that parenting is hard. I, I will attest to that, that parenting is tough. And I also had the ability to see people that become grandparents. I've seen people transition from parents to grandparents. And I'll tell you this, parents know this, that the day will come where the parenting, it, it, life goes on and it just keeps on going and it may seem like you're drowning in it right now, but life goes on and you will become a grandparent. And I, I can assure you that what I've witnessed is kind of the statement that some people say sometime about if grandparents knew that grandkids were so much fun, they would have just had them first and not had the kids. Uh, I've witnessed that as being true. So people with, I've, like Greg, I mean, I've, I've been around Greg a long, long, long time and he's been friends since I was 14 years old. And uh, that's been a long time ago. And I love Greg, and I've watched him raise his kids, and I saw some painful experiences between Greg and his kids, and some heartburn, and some anxiety, some fears, and, and Greg's worries, and all that. And then now I've transitioned to where I've watched Greg raise his grandkids a little bit. You know, when Carter comes over, and, and just Greg will light up like a Christmas tree with his grandkids. But uh, I can tell you this that I, I, I've witnessed that kids are hard, but grandkids are a lot better. <laughs> So parents know this. It may seem like a struggle right now. It's going to get better. God's going to make it better. You're going to get some grandkids. But Abraham never even had kids, and God's telling him about all these other people he's going to have, right? So if you don't have any kids, it's hard to have grandkids. 
I don't know if you know that or not. I mean, that's like a revelation moment. I wanted to let that out today that, and let everybody know that, you know, that that's, that's a big revelation to me is it's hard to have grandkids if you don't have kids. So Abraham didn't have any kids, and finally he just tells God. I'm like, he's like 99 years old, and he looks up, and he's praying, and God comes down and meets him. And, and can you imagine being 99 and not having any kids and God telling you about all this stuff you're going to have and your lineage and everything else? Like, really? That don't even make any sense. So Abraham talks with God, and God comes and talks with him, and God tells him, you're going to have a kid by this time next year. And Abraham's wife, Sarah, laughs in the tent. Laughs at God. It's like, really? I'm 90-some years old. He's 90 years old. We're going to have kids? Are you crazy? And literally, she becomes pregnant. And I don't know about you, but I've seen the stress-filled uh, ages of, of parents with little kids and, and uh, just... Mackenzie here lately, you know, she's had the third child, and I've witnessed it's like, wow, wasn't Lane and Carver enough? You literally had to have to have another one? Come on. I mean, you stressed out anyway. Now you got three. Lord have mercy. And uh, so that, that strain of that, that's like, wow, man, it's, it's hard. Parenting's hard. Grandparents are, it's the joy. So can you imagine being 99 years old? Lathan, before you had your first one? I think you'd give up after that, amen? He'd be like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I, I figured that out. No, I don't need any more. So literally have this kid, named, uh, and they name him Isaac. and uh, They love him. They cherish him. And Abraham raises him. Just to, It's great joy. It's kind of like a grandkid for him, really, because he's, he's going through it like, man, I'm so old that I'm just going to be a grandparent first. So here he's raising Isaac, and he loves him, and he cherishes him, teaches him all this stuff, and uh, just really has a blessing. And then next thing you know, Isaac becomes old enough to have uh, to go out and get a wife. And uh, Abraham tells him, you know, I'm going to send you over here, and I'm going to send you to this people group, and you're going to go over here, and you're going to get you a wife. And wherever you come back with your wife, it's going to be awesome. And then, because he's really wanting to be a grandparent. His goal is, man, I won't be a grandparent. That's going to be awesome. So uh, it, it, it takes time, though, right? Uh, you, you don't want to be a grandparent too fast, do you? I mean, not really. It's, it's not. Uh, no. Tell her no. No, no. Uh, later on, maybe when you're 30. Yeah, maybe, maybe when you're 30 would be good. So. Abraham wants to be a grandparent, and he sends his son off, and he comes back with a wife, and next thing you know, he, his, his son here, he's loving, and he's loving this, and he's got a, he's got a, a, a daughter-in-law now, and we all know we love our daughter-in-laws, and, and then you got a daughter-in-law, and then next thing you know, she, she becomes pregnant, and she's going to have these kids, and it's like, wow, yeah, this is awesome. And next thing you know, she gets a dream, and God tells her that there's two kids. This was back before ultrasound. It's like you had to get something from God then. You didn't go and find out the sex of the baby and reveals and all this stuff. You, you didn't know all of that stuff back then. You had to wait till it was born. That's why I tell you, you found out what kind of kid you have. So you just done white. You didn't do blue or pink. You just waited and done white, and that way you didn't have to worry about it until he's born. So these kids are born, and when they're born, there's trouble from the point of birth. And... Anybody ever been around a set of twins? I, I grew up uh, here in Garrison and went to Garrison School, and there was a set of twins that went to my class. They was the same age as me. Name was Jason and Wason. I don't know if anybody knows Jason and Wason. They were in my class, same age as me. And uh, I literally watched these two twins, and, 
And it, it's like awesome because you got to see somebody fight their self. I mean, I mean, maybe you've punched yourself in the face. I never have. I've, I've thought about it a time or two, but man, that was dumb. It's like you want to hit yourself, but you can't. And twins has got this awesome opportunity that they're allowed to hit themselves because it's kind of just like them. You know, Jason Wason, they look just like about twins. And, and uh, I remember them fighting in grade school. I mean, it's just like a common occurrence. As you go to school, you, you pretty much expect Jason Wason going to fight at some point here real soon. It's going to happen. They're going to get down to knock out and drag out. And I don't talk about tripping and pushing in the wall i'm talking about fist and blood flying and i was like lord of mercy how how could you stand to stand there and punch yourself it's it's kind of like it, look, it looks like me in here i'm punching me in the face and it's just kind of weirded me out really anybody know what i'm talking about so twins have this dynamic it's kind of odd and strange and some of them feel each other's what's going on and all that stuff it's kind of weird twins are kind of weird uh Glad there's no twins here. I, they might come up and punch me in the face. But um, I love growing up around them, though, and, and they become friends, and I, I, I love them boys. And, and But there is a dynamic that changes with twins. And as I'm saying that, I, I'm thinking through this, that as these twins are born, they're, they're conflicting even at birth. Who's going to be first? Because the first one born is the one that gets the blessing, the birthright, right? So literally... The point of birth, it, it says that when the first one's born, the other one was holding on to his heel. Literally. How crazy is that? That at this point of birth, that even they was conflicting then about who's going to be first. And uh, Howie was 16 months older than me, so I, I wasn't able to ever even have that challenge of trying to be the wonder son. He just was born the wonder son. Uh, my brother, you guys know Howie, he... Uh, He's the wonder son. That's what I called him all my life because, you know, as a kid, you're sitting there looking through the picture albums, and you're looking through the picture album. This before, you know, you guys got phones now with albums. We used to literally have a book with pictures in it, and it's called a picture album. And I was looking through those albums, and and be like 4,753 pictures of Howie. Then I'd come to a page, and there'd be like two of me. And I'd be like, really? Who am I? <laughs> Yeah, it was a good number. I just wrote that one out there. You might count a little bit different, but it seemed that way to me. So there's this conflict, though, amongst siblings even. But these twins really had a conflict, and one was hairy and rugged and liked to hunt. His name was Esau. The other one, uh, and Isaac loved this. You know, he had, he had twins now. This is awesome. I'm a, uh, Abraham's a grandparent, and he has these twins, and, and Isaac's a dad, and he's having these twins, and they're, they're really, they love both the boys. But one of them's got the birthright. One of them's born first. In an Old Testament, any time, the firstborn was the one who received the blessing. And the blessing from the parent then wasn't a will that you received a piece of paper. Here, thank you. Here's your will. I'm going to leave it all to you. Uh, I wasn't even in that. Mom and dad left it all to Howie. No, not really. It's just the wonder son. So Esau knew he had this coming because he was born first, and, and he's literally going to receive the blessing. The blessing was a laying on of hands and a speaking, a spoken word of blessing from the, from the dad. And he really wanted this. He cherished this. He waited on this moment, and all of a sudden his dad gets so old at this old point, and he's thinking, man, I better get this done. I want to bless my kid. And he, tells, he calls in Esau. He says, hey, Esau, uh, come in here. And he said, you know that, uh, that deer meat you go get and, and that venison that you go get and you make that porridge type of stuff and, and this stew and I, I want some of it. I'm kind of hungry and get that and then I'm going to bless you. 
So Esau takes off out into the woods to go hunt, kind of like I send Leslie out to go hunt. And, you know, go on get, get on up the hill and bring me back some venison. I want some, I want some deer jerky or something, amen? Um, I'm getting hungry talking about this. So wherever this happens, and Esau takes off out to go hunt, and, and, and he's out there hunting this venison. That's a deer. And, and, and his mom hears this, and she tells her son because she wants Jacob to get the blessing. And she tells Jacob, Go out there, kill one of the little kid goats, bring it back. I'm going to cook some stew, and we're going to put the hair, because the hairy man, you know, there's something about hair. What's their glory in hair? You know, kids are born. It's like the, I've watched it, witnessed this. It's part of my parental, you know, wisdom that I've got. This, whenever a baby's born with no hair, and they're like, oh, how cute. Then it's like they just want to say that. you got to say that to be nice, right? But then you get this baby that's born. It's got all his hair. I seen one a while back that was born, and I think it was Rose's little kid. It had all kinds of hair. And I was like, Lord of mercy. And everybody's like, oh, look at its hair. Oh. And there's, that's the way Esau was. He's born with all his hair. He's a hairy man, it says. And that's like, okay, that's farther on me. Now I don't have no hair. I'm just, I'm always in the bottom side of this. What's going on anyway? So. Esau's this hairy man, and his mom conjures up his idea, and she says, okay, Jacob, you're going to kill this goat. I'm going to cook the stew. You're going to take it into your dad, but I'm going to put some of this goat hair on you so that whenever he, he gets you to come over there to bless you, he's going to feel of your hand and to see if it's really Esau, and when he feels of your hand, then you'll have this hair on it, right? You're the hairy man for once. And uh, gets this hair, and he feels it, and it literally goes down that way. And they trick his dad into blessing him versus the one that it is due to. And Esau comes back, he killed his deer, kind of like Leslie's got her, you know, her freezer's full out in the garage. Anybody need any? Anybody need any? Go on once, five, 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 now give me five. No, no, I won't auction off her deer meat because she worked hard for it. But he comes back and he's got his deer, he cooks this stew, and he takes it into his dad, and where he carries it into his dad, and he sits down and he says, here, dad, I want you to give you this stew. And his dad says, what, you just here? He's like, no, I wasn't. I literally felt of your hand, I ate the stew, and I've already blessed you. And it says that Esau knew that his dad had been duped, that he'd been tricked. And he knew that his brother, that he didn't like, that he'd fought all these fights in grade school, had stole his birthright. And he becomes so angered, it says in Genesis, he becomes so angered, he said, I'm going to kill my twin brother. How sad of occasion is this? Would that be hard to forgive? Yeah. If you don't believe me, look around because anytime I've seen funerals and I've seen families that's really tight and really close and really gelled together, when it comes to a point of, of the parent or grandparent passing away, that I've seen families fight over things and materials and mad over land or just fighting. It, it makes no sense. We really don't. Why? It's temporal things here on this earth. Does it really even matter? But we can get so tore up in it. And I saw families divided and they say, I won't even go around them anymore. Unforgiveness that they won't even talk to their brothers or sisters anymore over this stuff. And it, maybe that's happened to you. I've always told mom and dad, give it all to Howie. I don't have any kids. I don't want anything. I need nothing. I can't pass it down to anybody. I don't need anything. Give it to Howie. He can give it to Sky. 
Give it to Netta. She can give it to Bailey and Brindley. That's where it needs to go. I don't need anything. But I can understand how that if you wanted to pass something on to your kids and grandkids, that you would want something, to, the hand-me-downs. So these twins become so enraged with each other that they want to kill each other over a blessing. And it, it says that he wanted to kill him so bad and it scared the mom because she knew that this hunter was the one that wanted to kill the other one. And she, so she sends off her son and tells uh, Jacob to take off and go away into another land and get you a wife over there and start, your, start over again and stay away from him. You know, stay away from Esau. He's going to kill you. And she sends him away. And there's all this story goes to this, that these years and years and years and years later, decades later, Jacob ends up getting into it with his father-in-law and says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back to my homeland. I'm going to go back to where I was born. I want to go back to my home country. And as he travels back to his home country, he begins to think about what's going to happen to my brother that wanted to kill me. How's this going to go down? And as he's traveling through, he's got these two wives and all these kids and he's got all this herds and stuff because God's blessed him because he got the blessing from his parents. And he's conflicted in this that now my brother, my twin, is going to kill me because he said he would. And he's really perplexed with this idea, but he wants to go back home so bad that he goes anyway. And as he begins to come in his home country and as he begins to come up, he, he's thinking about, man, my brother's going to kill me and what can I do and how can I buy this? Can I buy my freedom back? And he, he sends out these envoys in front of him and he turns over goats and herds of cattle and gives it whenever his twin comes to him. And, and they come back and they tell him, they say, Jacob, look, Esau's coming and he's got 400 men on horsemen with him. And in this moment, he begins to perplex and he, he gets worried, really worried. He's like, I'm not coming up to, it's not like they're rolling out the red carpet for me. He's coming to kill me. He begins to get scared. But God still speaks to him. And God tells him, it's going to be okay. Can I tell you something? If God promises you it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. No matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what it ends up like, God tells you it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. So Jacob continues to travel, but then he, he, he puts out these fleeces out to his brother in front of him. And it says in this verse that we just come to right here, I just think about us as individuals that re really, have, have you ever been conflicted in yourself? I think twins are just a sign of really how we are as individuals too. I, I don't know about you, have you ever got caught talking to yourself? Anybody ever got caught talking to yourself like you didn't know somebody else around and you're talking to yourself and then they look at you like, who are you talking to? My best friend, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's how kids get all these little imaginary friends because really they're talking to themselves. And there is conditions, the bipolar conditions and those things that, uh, you know, they're proven. They're doctors, and I'll leave that up to the nurse and people that know, but it's just a medical condition, and sometimes we conflict it. But I think that maybe it's... Uh, Expanded a little more for those people that have been conditioned with that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need as a society to open up to say it's okay with people with other conditions. Maybe it's not a physical condition, but a condition like that, and it's okay. And pray for them, and pray for peace for the family, and, and pray for the individuals. 
But I don't know about you, but it's kind of like the old cartoons, right? That you see the old cartoons, you remember, you got a little red guy on this shoulder and a little white guy on this shoulder. That cartoons ain't like that anymore. I can't make any sense of them, but the old ones was like that, a little red guy and a little white guy. So there's an angel and a devil. And he'd talk on both sides, so the cartoon would, the character would have to make a decision. What am I going to listen to? Who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to this one or am I going to listen to that one? So we all have that little bit of bipolarness in us that we've got traits of where we go this way or that way. Can anybody say amen? We're conflicted. Just like Jacob and Esau was. And sometimes we think that that bad version is going to kill the good version. Just like this story. And sometimes we think the worst rather than thinking the best. Can anybody say amen? So this story goes that as the good guy is coming, the bad brother that wants to kill him is coming. And it ends with this verse that we read to begin this sermon that says that when Esau saw him from afar off, he ran up, he hugged his brother that he wanted to kill. He hugged him. He kissed his face, and they wept. Crossing the bridge from forgiveness to serving, because it says in Scripture, and you can go back and read this in Genesis, that the older would serve the younger. It was a promise from God to this mom before she had these twins. You're going to have two boys, and the older is going to serve the younger. It's prophecy. It's the way it was going to work out. And it may not have looked like that when there's 400 horses coming. You may be living in fear and anxiety and stress right now thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. There's some people in this room, you've got to forgive yourself. Amen. Amen? We have to just let it go. I'm tired of packing this baggage of me around. And I want to forgive myself for the wrongs I've done. I want to let it go so I can cross that bridge to serving. Because when we try to go serve, we can't be baggage down ourselves and serve over the people out of the baggage they're in. We have to let it go. So as you stand, I want you to bow your head, if you will. Father, I pray today, Lord, that every person in this room, Lord, that we could come to you and we could offer our lives to you. And Lord, that uh, every person in this room could receive forgiveness from you today for our sins, for our faults, for our failures. And Lord, as you forgive us, I pray today that you would just allow us as a church, as a community of believers to forgive others that have done us wrong. Lord, that we could be that person just like Esau was, that even though he was absolutely robbed, he chose love of his brother over what he thought was right and wrong in his own eyes. 
God, open up our heart today to receive your forgiveness in a way that liberates us. That sets us on a path and a destiny to be able to serve the way you're going to call us to serve this week. And God, I thank you for this 40-day challenge. Nor for these red letters that they would be life to our bones, God. That we can put your words into action and Lord, our community would know that the Bridge Church is a church that loves God, loves people. That we're a group that learns. And also that we're a group that serves. Let us lay aside our differences and become like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen.